Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. God of might, giver of every good gift, put into our hearts the love of your name, so that by deepening our sense of reverence, you may nurture in us what is good, and by your watchful care keep safe what you have nurtured. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Ecclesiasticus. My son, be gentle in carrying out your business, and you will be better loved than a lavish giver. The greater you are, the more you should behave humbly, and then you will find favour with the Lord. For great though the power of the Lord is, he accepts the homage of the humble. There is no cure for the proud man's malady, since an evil growth has taken root in him. The heart of a sensible man will reflect on parables, an attentive ear is the sage's dream. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. The just shall rejoice at the presence of God. They shall exalt and dance for joy. O sing to the Lord, make music to his name. Rejoice in the Lord, exalt at his presence. God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. Father of the orphan, defender of the widow, such is God in his holy place. God gives the lonely a home to live in. He leads the prisoners forth into freedom. God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. You poured down, O God, a generous rain. When your people were starved, you gave them new life. It was there that your people found a home, prepared in your goodness. O God, for the poor. God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. What you have come to is nothing known to the senses, not a blazing fire, or a gloom turning to total darkness, or a storm, or trumpeting thunder, or the great voice speaking which made everyone that heard it beg that no more should be said to them. But what you have come to is Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem which the millions of angels have gathered for the festival, with the whole church in which everyone is a firstborn son and a citizen of heaven. You have come to God himself, the supreme judge, and been placed with spirits of the saints who have been made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator who brings a new covenant and a blood for purification, which pleads more insistently than Abel's. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. On a Sabbath day, Jesus had gone for a meal to the house of one of the leading Pharisees, and they watched him closely. He then told the guests a parable because he had noticed how they picked the places of honour. He said this, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take your seat in the place of honour. A more distinguished person than you may have been invited, and the person who invited you both may come and say, Give up your place to this man. And then, to your embarrassment, you would have to go and take the lowest place. No, when you are a guest, make your way to the lowest place and sit there, so that when your host comes, he may say, My friend, move up higher. In that way, everyone with you at the table will see you honoured. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the man who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to his host, When you give a lunch or a dinner, do not ask your friends, brothers, relations, or rich neighbours, for fear they repay your courtesy by inviting you in return. No, when you have a party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That they cannot pay you back means that you are fortunate, because repayment will be made to you when the virtuous rise again. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so picture the scene before us. The Lord Jesus is invited into the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and they walk into the dining room, and there begins this awkward dance of who should be seated where. And Luke tells us that the people in the room watched Jesus closely. There's an interesting little observation. Were they looking to Jesus for an example? Uh, Guidance on what to do? Or were they sizing up the guest so that they could have some kind of measure of their own stature and rank in the room? Who belongs where? Where do I fit in? What's the pecking order? And I suppose by implication, how can I strive for a higher place? Why is that person there seated closer to the dignitary? So I should be in that place. I have a very vivid memory of a situation that's much like what's being described in the gospel today. Um, Some of you may know that I studied in Rome. Uh, And in the seminary in which I attended, there was an event that was known as the Rector's Dinner. And it was a big affair. Lots of people would fly in from overseas. It was big money, big fundraising. Uh, And there would be dignitaries that came from the city of Rome as well. And this year on the guest list was the Vice Mayor of Rome. And he sent his secretary to come to the seminary in the afternoon before the rector's dinner began, in order to find out where he was sitting and to see if it was close enough to the important cardinals. And dissatisfied with the place that the vice mayor was going to receive, the secretary duly started to complain. 
He needed to be closer to where the power was, closer to where the movers and shakers were seated. I must admit, it all looked pretty sad and desperate. But here we can see what demand is made by an unleashed ego, one that looks towards self-aggrandizement. You see, the people that were dining at the banquet, they didn't look to each other as companions, but as competition. Now, that's an interesting point to note. The word companion comes from the conjunction of two Latin words, cum, which means with, and panis, which means bread. A companion is someone with whom one breaks bread, with whom someone shares a meal. And this is precisely the context into which Jesus is invited. He's invited to be the companion of the host and the other guests of the meal. And yet the guests are preoccupied with this all-consuming task of sizing each other up. The other becomes the one with whom I compete for limited honours. The other becomes the one who's sitting in my seat. I should be getting that recognition. I should be getting that place of honour. And, you know, this image, it's virtually the photographic negative of a banquet, of, of time spent with companions. So I think that's the first thing that we can glean from the gospel today. Just how demanding an ego can be. There's no enjoyment at that banquet. The beauty of spending time with true friends, with true companions, is that my ego, myself, begins to fall into the background. There's a kind of sense of being lost in the experience because I'm not thinking about myself and how I'm appearing in the scene or how I'm being regarded by others. That all becomes secondary to the moment of being focused on the other. It's exhausting constantly comparing yourself to your friends. It's tiring constantly making those calculations of where I fit in, who's on the up, who's on the down, and how I can get a little bit more for myself. I suppose what's needed is humility. That virtue which frees us from the demands of our ego. Because this humility, it's not burdensome. It's actually pride that's hard and tiring. Instead, this humility frees us from the shallow demands of our own egos. So, were we to be at the table with Jesus? What position ought we to take? Well, the Lord says take the lowest place. Now, this isn't just a matter of false humility. You know, take the lower place so that others might raise you up to a higher place and therefore stick it to everyone else. It's a way of being falsely humble so that you can get more adulation. No, to take the lowest place is to be in the right place with respect to God. The Lord calls us to be disciples, to be his followers, right? The Lord chastises Simon Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block in my path. 
And there's the place. The disciples' place is behind the master. It's to take the lowest place. We can see in the book of Genesis that it all goes wrong at a meal. Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they didn't see God as a companion, but as a rival. I have to take what he's not willing to give me. I have to assert my position in the face of the one who would rather hold me down. There's the problem. Pride. Especially with respect to God. A humble person can take the lowest place at a banquet and have a great old time. Because it's not about him. If this is the place that the Lord has given me, then it's a great place. Because the Lord is generous. He is merciful and kind. And I'm grateful for the place he gives me. Because it's his gift to me. And if someone's in a higher place than me, fine. That's God's business. If that's what he's given to this companion of mine, it's no skin off my nose. What the Lord gives me is for me. And the humble person will say one simple thing. Lord, thank you. What a joy to be loved by God and given a place at the banquet by him. And what an incredible joy to be surrounded not by rivals, but by companions. That's why the humble are happy. Who are the miserable ones? It's the Pharisees. The ones who are exhausted by the calculation of the pecking order. The ones who are surrounded not by friends, but by competition. The ones who are always dissatisfied with the place which they've been given. Do you get the feeling that Jesus might be the only happy one in the room? I don't know, that's what it seems like to me. He's the one filled with joy, filled with peace. I bet that's why the leading Pharisee invited him over in the first place. You know, there's a second undercurrent that's at play here too at the Pharisee's banquet. Uh, And so, you know, the Lord says, um, when you have a party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That they cannot pay you back means that you are fortunate because repayment will be made to you when the virtuous rise again. Now, the question here, I suppose, is about recompense, about reward. A leading Pharisee invites the guests. His social capital increases, right? Having extended his hospitality to the influential, now he has something of a claim on their influence. It's a chance for networking, for schmoozing. It's a chance to get ahead. And I suppose what ends up happening is that you look towards the other and calculate their usefulness to you. How can your friendship reap rewards for me? Well, in this sense, we can start to look at relationships with others as a kind of investment. Now, get this. The former president of the United States, Bill Clinton, when he was a young man, he started to compile a collection of note cards recording the contact details of friends and acquaintances 
who might be of use to him when he entered politics. And he'd go through the growing list in the evenings, making phone calls, writing letters. And by the time he ran for his election, he had over 10,000 contacts to call for support. Now, I suppose nothing wrong with keeping track of one's encounters with others, but there's a danger that Christ is warning us against. And the danger is that we lose the reality of love, of who the other is. When the host of the banquet invites all those who cannot repay him the favour, now that's an act of love. It's a different kind of relationship which comes about. It's no longer the case that I look at friendship as an investment, but friendship as a mission. It's not that I'm seeking to make my friend indebted to me, a debt which I can call in later. In that instance, what's the point of the friendship? Well, me. It's for my benefit. But when you invite the poor and the lame and the blind, here's me seeking to serve my friend for their sake. It's not about what you can do for me or what I can get out of you. No, it's for you. Now, Jesus makes an interesting point, right? That the service which we freely give to the other passes by way of eternity. Remember what the Lord said? That having invited all those that cannot repay us, that repayment will be made when the virtuous rise again. In eternity. In heaven. Now, when we take these two elements together, we see a beautiful description of what a disciple is. The disciple is humble. The one who takes the place which the master has given. Behind Jesus. And... The disciple is the one who listens and responds to the mission entrusted by the Lord Jesus, looking not for a merely worldly salary, but a recompense which passes by way of eternity. Now this is an entirely different way of living. Instead of jostling in competition with others for honour, and instead of objectifying others so that we can obtain our own ends, no, we live out our relationship with Christ instead. Now, the reality is that God repays infinitely more generously than human beings can. And God gives a place far more beautiful than we can attain from others. The place he prepares us for is the place near his heart. And the recompense he offers us is eternal life. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.